Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is Bookin', brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. All right, let's talk about uh, our Sunday send-off program this year, which will be at Kings on Sunday, um, February 23rd, 2020. This year, we got a really exciting thing going. We're going to have um, Durham musician Jake Xerces Fussell, um, who's a fantastic blues folk musician. Uh, look him up if you're unfamiliar with him. His music's fantastic. He traveled around with his dad when he was a kid and kind of talked to these uh older uh, blues musicians and, and learned his craft and trade and now he plays a lot of older songs that have kind of been lost um so he's gonna come play some songs and let's go ahead and play one of his songs right now
Jake Fussell, we're going to have a few uh, North Carolina authors on Sunday that kind of fit in with his vibe. Uh, the first is our friend Misha Marin. Chris, you read Sugar Run, didn't you? I did. We actually did it for our book club at So-and-So Books. It's a relentless um, novel uh, following a woman who uh, gets out of a 17 or 18 year stint in prison and heads back to... Um, you know, rural West Virginia and uh, tries to start anew but finds herself uh, falling back into some old patterns and um, some old vices and uh, struggling to figure out how to resettle into society. And it's um, uh, really the, the setting is indelible and, um, and the relationships that she builds among the characters are... Uh, there was a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of anxiety when I was reading it, but uh, felt that it was um, uh, a pretty fantastic depiction of, of a very difficult uh, life. Yeah, this was Misha's first novel, and um, it really reminds me in spots of you know um, Daniel or uh, Flannery O'Connor of Dennis Johnson. I almost said Daniel Johnson, but that too. Um, and you know, Misha's one of these writers. She lives in. Um, Chapel Hill now teaches at Duke, but she's one of these writers who have recently come out of West Virginia, um, which there are several of right now uh, with Scott McClanahan and others, and it's kind of fascinating to watch, but we're super grateful to have Misha on board, and let's play an excerpt of our interview earlier in the year with Misha Marin. Your book, Sugar Run, opens with a scene where your protagonist, Jody McCarty, is released from prison, and you, Misha Marin, are a writing fellow at the Beckley Federal Correctional Institution in Beckley, West Virginia. How did your experience as a writing fellow in Beckley color this novel, Sugar Run? Yeah, you know, um, sometimes I think the ways that, that my life and my fiction come together are are kind of funny, because I started writing Sugar Run a long time before I started doing uh, any work in the prison. Um, it makes total sense that when people um, look at my CV or my bio or whatever, talk to me and, and realize that I teach and that I wrote this book, that they think like that I started 
teaching in the prisons because I was writing this book. That would be the logical thing to do, I guess. But that's not that's not the way that my life goes. Um, so I'd started writing the book. Uh, I started it in about 2010 um, and started really seriously uh, putting it on on paper in in a way that I knew was going to be a novel in like 2013. Um, and then started teaching, I started teaching in Beckley in 2015. So the book actually had already been picked up by, uh, by Algonquin at that point, And, uh, I was doing some, uh, editing. So in the most, uh, tangible way, it was, it was small things, uh, that, that changed with it, but important things. Um, like I think that at one point early on in writing the book, I, I, somehow started using the, the phrase like like that uh Jody being in prison talking about the other um people that she shared her cell with for some reason I was talking about them as bunkies like get like bunk mates which is just totally not I mean they're they're cellmates and they call them cellies um so little things like that uh that that when I was teaching at Beckley I was like oh right like um small things um are important um and there were little stories that uh that that the guys there at Beckley would tell me that often they didn't even literally make it like I didn't didn't put them into the book but they helped when I was editing the book in in thinking about it um this one guy at Beckley told me this story about how this actually was before he made it up there to Beckley he was in a, a county jail and they never turned the lights off uh like they for security reasons, they kept the lights on, which is really hard, especially when you're in the upper bunk. You're, like, right under the fluorescent light. And um, so he said the guy who'd been there before him took his excrement, took his shit, and smeared it over the light to block out some of that light. Um, so little stories like that that you just really... Uh, it's crazier than anything you would ever make up. Um, so definitely talking to the guys at Beckley helped me. It helped me feel, I think I'd say, more confident in, in writing about it. Um, I could ask them, and they were interested and uh, happy to provide me with whatever details about. Uh, and everybody's experiences are different. And what I started to learn, too, is that every federal institution is a little bit different. So also that it was okay if some of the details in my book didn't match up with exactly everybody's experience. Depending on where you are, um, those experiences... Um, can can differ quite a bit. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin', B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. All right, we're back. And with Misha, uh, we're going to have um, her husband, Matt Randall O'Wayne. Um, Chris, have you met Matt before? I haven't. I've only listened to your podcast with him. Yeah, he's a super cool guy. And his uh, 
book, Meanderbelt, which came out early in the year, is uh, one of the better memoirs I have ever read. Um, there's a lot of great stuff in there. It's kind of just about growing up, you know, in a dysfunctional family, running away from home, getting kicked out of school, um, interwoven with all these moments of pop culture, like the death of Superman and, uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 and some other things, a lot of touchstones, um, sort of punk rock, sort of, um, Southern Appalachian. It's a fantastic book. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, let's play an excerpt of our interview from earlier in the year with Matt Randall Owain. Randall, in the chapter titled Arrow of Light, your father drives you to his and your friend Jimmy's house where something tragic has occurred. Um, can you tell our listeners what has happened and what it was like to experience this as a young boy? Yeah. So I was in Weebelows. Um My mom... Actually, this is like a story that's not, it's like a, it's like an outtake, mm -hmm. you know? My mom was actually the den leader for our Cub mm -hmm. Scouts um, and uh, was going to then be, I think, maintain and, and become the Weeblos member, but the Scoutmaster found a, a man to take over both. Um, so she, so she stopped. We were in, they were in kind of financial straits, and so she got a job waiting tables. Um, so then they were kind of like always were dropping us off and picking us up. It's a pretty normal story for most kids, I think. Um, so I was at the church, Weeblo's meeting is over, um, and my father pulls up, um, and he's frantic. Um, and then we, and then we drive to Jimmy's house, um, because <clears throat> his friend, um, and, and our childhood friend had committed suicide, shot himself in the truck. Um, and what I learned later was that, um, he was called actually to hide cocaine um, that had been in the truck um, and then ended up identifying the body. And so I think about this often um, in terms of like what choice did he have really, you know, this is inner city Memphis. Um, and so there isn't really a safe place uh, for a kid to go, you know, um, the church is locked. It's not even open, you know, um, it's fall. And so then he's given this choice, do I, do I pick up my son, you know, or do I keep him there for however long that, that I need before this changes? That's just, I'm just putting that on him. I'm sure he had to make that choice. And so he picks me up. Um, I still think that's the right choice. Um, the wrong choice was he told me to stay in the truck and I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, that was, that was the wrong choice. Um, so, I mean, I think that he did try to protect me from the moment. Um, but I watch him, I watch <clears throat> as he gathers viscera, um, uh, from, from where, uh, his friend had committed suicide. And then a couple of days after that, he drives my brother and I, um, to, to the woods where our family and, and he and Jimmy like to go camping. And, uh, and he has this private ceremony that he holds, uh, for my brother and I, he, carves Jimmy's name in a tree and and buries and buries the remains uh, and and has us come over um, and every time I think about I can't think of a better story um, or a better pairing of the of him bringing us to see mirrored mezzanine and then him making that decision to have this sort of ceremony with his sons that better describes who he was as a person or who I think the way that how he wanted us to see him, you know, as a father, as a person in the world, you know, there was so much tradition and ceremony twinned 
with, I keep saying that word twinned, I don't know why, but <laughs> there's so much uh, tradition and ceremony uh, twinned with, um, with, with m- movement or rites of passage in the world, you know, that was necessary. I understand that a lot of parents would want to keep their children from rites of passages or keep those rites of passages um, standard. You graduate from kindergarten and then you graduate from elementary, you know, um, in terms of like a path, but that's not how he was raised. Um, and that's not how his parents were raised. Um, and so it ends up falling, falling into a more and an old world form of ethics and understanding one's place in, in the world. We're back and um, M. Randall O. Wayne will have another book coming out this year of short stories. So look out for that one uh, with Jake Searcy's Fussell Misha Marin and M. Randall O. Wayne. At King's on Sunday, February 23rd, will be J.P. Gritton, who just wrote a book, Wyoming, uh, was published by Tin House out of Portland, Oregon. Uh, J.P. also teaches at Duke with Misha. And um, this book is crazy. Uh, You know, it's kind of about like uh, drug running going wrong, as I imagine it often does. Um, It's a novel that's very reminiscent of No Country for Old Men. Um, and a little bit of East of Eden, too. It's, it's definitely got a Steinbeckian vibe. Um, but I loved this book, and I really feel like this is something that's going to keep gathering steam over the course of probably like the next two years or so. Uh, we're really lucky to have JP here in the Triangle uh, from Houston, which is where he's originally from. Um, this is going to really round out the fantastic program, uh, the Sunday send- send-off program. Uh, let's play an excerpt of our interview with J.P. Gritton from earlier in the year. Let's talk about this novel, Wyoming. Now, I brought up Craig and Algonquin because this book seems like something that he would buy, but uh, maybe a little edgier, which makes sense from Tin House. But um, Wyoming, holy shit, J.P. And listeners, uh, it's likely that most of you are listening from the South, uh, from California, Oregon, um, or Mexico. And all of you need to read this book right now. Uh, order a signed copy from Quail Ridge Books. Come see um, JP uh, anywhere he's reading if you can. And um, JP, I don't often gush about a book like this at the top of an interview, but I told my wife last night. Um, Please. Yeah, I told my wife last night. Yes, sir. My wife, Claire, (laughs) who's probably the only person I know who reads more books than I do. I told her you've got to read this book right now. It's like the intersection of um, No Country for Old Men and East of Eden. Shelley Cooper, the novel's protagonist, has a voice I couldn't get out of my head from the first word to the last. Uh, Congratulations, JP. This is a fantastic debut. Thank you, man. Yeah, I'm hoping you can take a moment to set the scene for our listeners. So, Shelly Cooper is um, one of those people that just is sort of drawn to make really unfortunate decisions. Um, And he also feels this really intense connection with his best friend, who is also the foreman of his construction crew, um, Mike Corliss, Mike's daughter, uh, who is incidentally Shelly's niece, because Mike has... Uh, gotten together with Shelly's sister, um, is is really sick. And um, Mike and his wife are having a hard time covering uh, covering the bills for her care. And um, and so Shelly, in addition to being kind of a uh, fuck-up himself, um, is got a kind of a fuck up of a brother who grows weed in the mountains of Colorado. 
so he uh, undertakes this um, mission to deliver 50 pounds of weed for his brother, and the drug deal goes right, and then maybe not quite so right. Um, so that's that's kind of the, the scene, 1987, Colorado, um, and, uh, and until the January in 1988. Yeah. Yeah, and tell us a little bit more about how Colorado um, influenced this novel. Because when I was reading it, I was I, I was hearing a Southern voice or a Texas yeah. voice. Um, so tell us a little bit about Colorado's influence. Well, you know, when I was so I was born and raised in in Boulder, and um, you know, I, as you can probably tell, it's a part of the country that's really uh, you know close to my heart. Um, but my dad's family is all from southern Missouri. So Crockett, Missouri, in the book, is more or less this little town in uh, Missouri, Errol, um, where my uh, my aunt and my uncle used to live. Um, and so the, the voice really... Shelley has come to Colorado um, basically... In, like a lot of people in the 1980s, just kind of, he was looking for work. Um, he had, uh, when I was a kid, my, the factory where my grandma had worked, um, the Angelica uniform factory, um, shut down and it was devastating and continues to be devastating to, um, you know, this little, um, corner of the Ozarks. And so, um, Shelly's voice, Shelly's, Shelly's not from Colorado. You know, I, I guess I would think of some people have written in their reviews that <laughs> there's one line I was like, it says Midwestern is green bean casserole. <laughs> and I, <laughs> yeah, I got, I guess that's right. I don't know. I, I mean, I kind of think of Missouri as more, yeah, more, more, maybe more the South, mm. but, um, all this to say. Shelly's Shelley's really my uncle's voice. Mm. I mean, they have virtually nothing in common, but um, but the voice I definitely stole from my Uncle Ed. All right, we're back. And uh, finally, what we're going to talk about is season two of the Quail Ridge Books in North Carolina Book Festival Arts and Lecture Series, which is going to fire up right after uh, the festival ends in the first week of March. Um, it's going to be three events. Subscriptions are available for $85. That $85 is basically the price of the book for the three events. And um, a subscription gets you the book for each event and priority seating and signing line access for each event and priority seating and signing line access to the North Carolina Book Festival. Um, we are expecting some of these events like the ones with uh, Taylor Jenkins Reid and Amelia Meath and Jake Fussell to um, fill these venues up. So buy a subscription to the Arts and Lecture Series to make sure you get a seat. The first of the three events for the Arts and Lecture Series will feature Therese Ann Fowler, uh, Raleigh author, New York Times bestselling author. Um, I think all of her books are getting adapted into movies or TV shows at this point. Uh, her new book is going to be called A Good Neighborhood, and she's going to be in conversation with her husband, John Kessel, who we spoke about earlier. Chris, what can you say about Therese? I'm excited to read her new book as the as so-and-so books borders the fictitious neighborhood that is possibly depicted in her uh, new book, The, the Good Neighborhood. 
Yeah. Um, we talked with Therese earlier this year about her previous novel, which was about the Vanderbilts called A Well-Behaved Woman. Let's play an excerpt from that interview right now. Now, Therese, the first question I have to ask you is, what is it about these women, Zelda Fitzgerald and Alva Smith later, Alva Vanderbilt and Alva Belmont, that has inspired you to tell their stories? Well, I'm always on the lookout for a good story foremost, and the lives that these women led were particularly interesting in in different ways, obviously, but still quite um, unique. But as much as uh, that's important to me, I'm also kind of a champion for the underdog. And we wouldn't think necessarily that Alva fits that description, right? She had everything. But um, where she's an underdog is in her reputation. So I felt uh, that she'd been misrepresented in different ways from the way that Zelda had been. But um, similarly, the reputation she has is unearned and... um, when I found that out, I kind of got um, you know, d- determined to attempt to set the record straight. And this is a story about love and the lack of love, uh, the lack of love between Alva and her first husband, William Vanderbilt, a marriage that was a marriage of opportunity for both parties involved. Then there's a love shared between Alva and her second husband, Oliver Belmont. But mostly, I feel like this is a story about love and love lost between Alva and her best friend, Consuelo, and perhaps to a lesser degree, but no less importantly, Alva and her servant, Mary. Uh, Can you tell us about the relationship between these women? Well said. Um, there are a lot of things that we can talk about in that realm, but I don't want to give everything away. I think it's fair to say, though, especially with Alba and her friend Consuelo, who later becomes the Duchess of Manchester, that this was a relationship that was sort of tight from early on. They grew up in essentially the same world until each of them married and went different directions. And then uh, opportunities that came Alva's way or opportunities that Alva made in contrast with the situations that her friend Consuelo, who later is referred to as Lady C in the book, not to confuse her with Alva's daughter Consuelo. Um, Lady C's opportunities and situation um, becomes less exciting and less advantageous than she'd hoped they would be, and it leads to a certain dramatic uh, parting of ways, let's put it, so that uh, we don't spoil the story for folks. But it was a, a friendship that I think needed to endure for both of them later, and so that's one of the reasons why, even after the rift arrives, I decided to at least uh, encourage readers to see beyond what's on the page in terms of how their relationship may end up at the end. The next Arts and Lecture Series event will be with James McBride. Uh, James McBride was one of the headliners of the 2014 Literary Festival when he put out a book called The Good Lord Bird, which won the National Book Award that year. That was one of my favorites of 2014. Um, Did you go to that program by chance, Chris? I didn't. I think I was at an either having a pro. I was either leading a program or was at a different one. But I did read that book. It was a book club book at So and So Books, 
and uh, it was a really fantastic novel, so I'm excited about this one. Yeah, his new novel is called Deacon King Kong. I believe it's the first novel he's written since The Good Lord Bird. He had another book out that was nonfiction about James Brown, um, which was also really cool. But uh, Deacon King Kong, I'm expecting big things from this novel, and we're excited to have James McBride back to Raleigh. Uh, finally, the third event that we are going to have is with Valeria Luiselli, um, who won a MacArthur Genius Grant this year for her book, Lost Children Archive. Um, we're really excited to have her because we partner with the North Carolina State University uh, English Department and MFA and Creative Writing Program. Um, and when we asked them what author that they would like for us to bring, that's who they said, Valeria Luiselli. Um, and by just a matter of circumstance, um, and we got Valeria to come. We're super excited about that. Have you read that book yet, Chris? I haven't read that one. <laughs> I read my story, uh, the story of my teeth, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, a crazy surreal uh, piece, um, magical realism, um, really, really imaginative and inventive. And so I'm excited about this one. Yeah, and this book, The Lost Children Archive, is uh, shortlisted for the Carnegie medal um with two other books and we are very hopeful that she brings that one home so those are the three events for the arts and lecture series and again uh for 85 dollars you get Therese ann fowler's book a good neighborhood james mcbride's book deacon king kong valeria luiselli's book lost children archive priority seating and signing line access to all three of those events and priority seating and signing line access to all events at the North Carolina Book Festival. Those tickets are available at www.quailridgebooks.com. Um, Chris, I'm super excited about the festival this year. It seems easier this year than it did last year. I'm going to knock on wood when I say that. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> I'm waiting for some other shoe to drop. But um, yeah, I think as I, I think it's a nice uh, pa- it's a nice pairing when I feel like um, North Carolina writing is starting to is really starting to come together. All these uh, local and area authors are starting to get big and write excellent first and second books. And and this is our um, you know second iteration since the 2014 festival. And I feel like the festival's gaining momentum. So I feel like there's some nice uh, you know collaboration going on there. Yeah, we are very excited. We hope to see you there at the North Carolina Book Festival again. That's going to be February 21st through 23rd in Raleigh at various venues. You can check out some information at www.ncbookfestival.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll be excited to see you there. Chris, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Once again, I would like to thank Chris Tonelli for joining me. Copies of Chris's book, Whatever Stasis, can be purchased in-store at Quail Ridge Books and online at www.quailridgebooks.com. The North Carolina Book Festival will be February 21st through 23rd, 2020 in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina. Please check www.ncbookfestival.com for more information. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Bookend.